Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Good to see you. Thank you, worship team. I'm going to steal one of your stands. Well, my name is Zach, lead pastor at Red Door Church, and uh, just to let you know a little bit of who I am as we kind of combine this morning. I'm going to come down here, if that's okay, a little closer. Uh, my wife and I, Sarah, have been a church plant here about almost five years. We've lived in Sioux Falls. Our church is about four years old. The church is called Red Door Church. And uh, we moved from Montana. Anyone from Montana? A couple of us. How many have been to Montana? A few more. There we go. And uh, we love Montana, beautiful state, but we love Sioux Falls more. Everyone say, ah. They paid me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we planted a church here. Our heart was to reach the lost and the broken. And, and we came here to plant. And uh, my wife and I moved here almost five years ago, July 1st. Uh, we have three kids. My oldest is Kaylee, who's 10. My middle daughter is Chloe, which is 7. And then we were blessed as we planted here. We had a little one on the way, and his name is Roman. And uh, he was born a week before we started our Sunday night preview services. So Jesus was with us and my wife. And so we gave birth to Roman. I say we like I had any part in it, and I didn't, obviously. But... Uh, <laughs> We had Roman, and then a week later, we started gathering a small group of people interested in a church plant and seeing lives changed, uh, sharing the message of Jesus. And uh, we've been a part of this journey and this church plant since then, and part of Sioux Falls and the community here and churches. And, and Rich and I have had an opportunity over the last few years to get to know each other, spend some time together, be a part of some groups together. And, and uh, as we spent time together, we just felt like our hearts were connecting. We, we had the same vision to see people far from God, come close, to realize who they are, to be changed forever. And, and as we began to talk, we really had a heart to see how could God do amazing things when, when churches with different backgrounds and, and, and different styles could come together and worship together and, and to lift up the name of Jesus. How many enjoyed worship this morning together? That's a cue for everyone. There we go. It was awesome to worship together. Two churches come together to to sing, to lift up the name of Jesus. And this morning, I get an opportunity to share a message. And I know tonight we're going to transform this place with what I call organized chaos, right? Tonight, huh? who here, raise your hand, is, is helping tonight, serve and be a part of it. There we go, go home and take a nap, because you'll need it later. And uh, this place is going to be transformed into lots of little kids running around, enjoying uh, time together, but also hearing the message of Jesus and we're excited to be a part of that and to join with you guys. And I want to say thank you for King of Glory for being hospitable and allowing us to come in here. And, and it's been a fun just to get to know so many of you and be a part of what you guys are doing here. And I want to commend you for all that you do in this community, all you do in this city. Um, you guys are rock stars and you're making an impact in life here in Sioux Falls. And so as Red Door, we want to say thank you for being a great example of that. Well, this morning what I want to do is I want to stir our hearts. I'm a preacher, and you're going to notice pretty quickly I like to move around, and I get passionate, I get excited, and, and uh, I want, what I want to do is I want to stir our hearts for the lost. I want to stir our hearts for those who are lost and broken. If you're like me, I've been in church most of my life, and ministry specifically for the last 15 years, and sometimes it's easy as a professional pastor, I forget those who are lost and broken. I don't forget that they're out there. I don't forget that we need to reach them. But what happens is this, is my heart becomes calloused 
my heart becomes distant. And I lose this connection with, with the very heart that Jesus had to see those who were lost and broken found. We see in the Bible it says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. And I would imagine most of us in this room, we were that person that he sought and saved. And for me, I sometimes get back, I forget, I get comfortable, I forget that heart that Jesus implanted into every one of his disciples, and that very same heart that he changed in us, he transferred into us to say, I want you to love and to seek those who are lost. So this morning I want to challenge us, and I want to stir our hearts in that. And so if you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, you can jump on these nifty little devices called cell phones, and you can download a Bible if you don't have one. If you have an old school Bible, which for those who are younger, this is what this is, <laughs> paper. Uh, and uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, and, and Rich told me I have about 50 minutes to preach, so we'll start now. My cue is when the kids are, you know, climbing over the workers and trying to get into the room, we'll know that our time is up. But we're going to hopefully power through this this morning. Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, one of my favorite stories, we'll get there in just a moment. But I want you to think about a time, maybe that you purchased something that was maybe something you saved up for, or, or something you worked for, or, or maybe there was something really special that was passed down from, from your grandparents and from their parents, and you kind of kept it really special. Think of that moment that you had this very thing that you had saved for. I remember as a kid saving for a bike. I remember even as I got older, for me, I saved up for an iPad. And I thought, man, when I got this iPad, it was like I had a 10-foot buffer zone around me, right? And I have kids, and I was like, get away, stay back, do not touch the iPad. I lock it down, and I'd see them coming near it. I'd be like, whoa, 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 be careful. This is Daddy's iPad, right? We don't want to break it. We don't want to scratch it. And like, Dad, can I look at it? No, no, with, with supervision, I'll hold it, and you can look at it, right? <laughs> For weeks, I'd carry it around like it was a child, right? I'd walk it around. I'd strap it in a car seat when I drove. I'm, kidding on this, but, but on some level, I took very, very careful with this. I didn't, I didn't want anything to happen to this. But one day, my little son took my iPad, and he took it outside, and he dropped it. Yeah, yeah. He's still grounded to this day for that. <laughs> He dropped this iPad, and just in the corner, this little crack went across it. And at that moment, I thought, oh, no, I didn't get insurance on this thing. I didn't pay the extra money, and now it's ruined. My wife is very practical, and she says, it, it doesn't even affect the screen. It did nothing. It was just a little hairline scratch. But I said, ah, that's all I can see. That's all I can notice. I can't even use it. Let's throw it in the garbage. Right? I don't even want it now. It's, it's, it's useless to me. He said, but it's just a little scratch. I'm like, no, I, it's, it's useless for me. I, I can't use it. It's, every time I open it, every time I look at it, I notice that one little scratch, that one little crack. Maybe you've been like me also, and you've ordered stuff on Amazon, or you've purchased something, and it shows up, and you can't wait for it to get here, and all of a sudden you open the package, and guess what? It's broken, or it's dented, or it's chipped. There's something inside of us that just goes, oh, 
It's useless now. I, I don't even want it now. My, my desire for this very thing has lost completely. I had an opportunity a couple years ago to be over in Istanbul, Turkey. And of course, every country you go to, where's the first place you go as American? Starbucks, right? Anyone else like that? Starbucks? So we find a Starbucks in Istanbul, Turkey. Downtown, we get there, and the first thing we do is we buy a mug that says Istanbul on it. I take it home. I, as I travel a little bit, and I've gone overseas a few times, we try to grab the Starbucks mugs from each country to kind of collect. And I remember bringing it home and gave it to my wife, and she put it in the, on our shelf. And one day she calls me. She says, I dropped the mug. I'm like, what? I can't go back to Istanbul now. How am I going to get another mug? And I'm not going to buy one on eBay. She said, but just the handle broke. Well, have you ever drank coffee without a handle, a ceramic mug? It's fairly pointless, unless you want to wear an oven mitt to drink it, which then you look like a weirdo, sitting in your coffee with an oven mitt, drinking a cup of coffee. That mug becomes useless. It becomes something that has no value anymore. And you lose interest in it, and it has no function for you now. See, for many of us, whether you're new to Christ or you've known him for many, many years, We've all been in that place in our life where we've accumulated dents, scratches, problems in our life. Maybe you can think back before you knew Christ, the scratches and dents and cracks that you had in your life that, that you would do whatever it takes to try to cover and to hide. But like my iPad, that was the only thing you could notice. That was the only thing that you could see was that mistake you made, that failure you did. And we work so hard to try to cover and hide them, but at the end of the day, we know where every crack, every dent, every scratch is in our life. And for many people, we live our life trying to cover those. We live our life with that reminder of a failure. And if you don't know Christ, you spend all your energy trying to cover those things. Now, many of us, we know that through Christ, he heals that. He overcomes that. He removes those cracks. We're no longer held to those. But, but there are many of those in our lives, our neighbors, coworkers, friends, baristas, that are still living a life with those cracks and dents. My heart this morning is, how do we stir this heart to those? How do we stir up in our lives to seek and to save those with those cracks and dents in their life as they focus on, as they go about their daily routine, stuck in this cycle. This morning we're going to look at this passage in Luke chapter 19. If you're there, we're going to read the first 10 verses. This is a story that's one of my favorite stories. Not because the guy's name is Zacchaeus and my name is Zach, but, well, let's be honest, somewhat is my favorite story. But Zacchaeus is a famous story. I would imagine most of us in this room have read that story, have heard that story. You've even heard it preached multiple times. What I want to do this morning is I want to I refresh our hearts. I want you to listen to it for the very first time. Look at it from a different perspective this morning as we stir our hearts for the lost. But Zacchaeus was a guy with a lot of cracks and dents. And like many people we all know, he was trying to fill those and cover those with his job, with money, with attention, with notoriety, with position. 
But we see this man named Zacchaeus get to the point of his life where he realized that he couldn't cover those cracks and dents. That there was something more. And his name was Jesus. Follow with me here in Luke chapter 19, verse 1. I'll be reading out of the NIV this morning. And so if you have a different translation, it might sound a little different. But it says this. Jesus entered Jericho. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And Jericho is just before he gets to Jerusalem. And he enters this town, Jericho, and was passing through. Okay, Jesus was, was on his way somewhere else. He had no intentions of staying in Jericho. Jericho was just a city to pass by, and he was passing through. And it says here in verse 2, a man there by the name of Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and was wealthy, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not. And because of the crowd, so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. So Jesus was going to come by that way anyway. When Jesus reached the spot where he was at the tree, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down once and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people who were following Jesus, the crowds that were there, began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner? Zacchaeus stood up, and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back them four times the amount. Then Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Can we pray, and then we'll jump into this passage this morning. Holy Father, we just come before you today. As we dive into this passage, as we read the story, as we catch the heart for the lost, God, I pray for every person in this room, every individual, that you would touch our hearts. God, you'd convict us, you'd challenge us, you'd soften areas that are hard, and you would open our eyes to see those who are lost around us. God, we know that we are in this time, in this place, and that our job, in our neighborhoods, for a reason, not coincidence. God, we're there for a purpose, to seek and to save those who are lost. So God, be with us, speak through me, illuminate the word this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Now I'll give you a little perspective here. Zacchaeus was really a hated and despised man. Zacchaeus was a Jewish man, but he was also a chief tax collector. If you're familiar at all with chief tax collectors, or tax collectors at all, tax collectors were hired, contracted by Rome, to go and collect the taxes owed Rome. But see, here's what tax collectors did, is that tax collectors would add on an extra percentage so that they could profit off of what they were collecting. And see, the people that they were collecting from, the Jews, they had to pay whatever was given to them. So you see that... Zacchaeus would go to you, and he would say, I have to charge them $10 per person, but I'm going to add an extra $10 for my own profit. Whatever the amount was, that's what he would do. It says that he was a chief tax collector. So he had people who worked underneath him who collected money. So first and foremost, 
he was a Jew collecting money from other Jews. And he was gouging them and robbing them of money. So you can tell very quickly that people would not care for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was not invited to any house parties. He was not invited to any bar mitzvahs. He wasn't invited to anything. Okay? He was excluded and pushed aside because he, in their eyes, was a thief, a swindler, a robber, taking from them to benefit himself and to gain money. Zacchaeus was the last person anyone would have thought that Jesus would spend time with. He was a wealthy business owner and had made all his money on gouging those around him. Now, if you're familiar with this story, we notice in Luke's gospel that Luke points out this very specific piece in his story. Two things he points out. One, he points out that Zacchaeus was a little man, a wee little man, right? A short guy, which is interesting. We don't know how short he was, but it's interesting that Luke points out his height. In fact, he was so short that he couldn't see over the crowd. So the second thing he did is a rich man would never climb a tree to see somebody coming. But we see Zacchaeus, who was short, climb up a tree to see Jesus coming. Now, I like to try to visualize this passage and this idea and this story and this person, this character. And so every time I read this story, guess what? I view Zacchaeus as Danny DeVito. I mean, doesn't it fit perfect? Danny DeVito played playing Zacchaeus. If they were to make a movie today, I would cast Danny DeVito to be Zacchaeus. It's almost like a, like a perfect imagery. Danny DeVito, the short, kind of loud, you know, obnoxious. I don't know Danny personally. He might be a, a really sweet guy. But just in his character, you look at him and you think, man, Zacchaeus was someone that you just would not like. Zacchaeus would be someone that would just be someone that everybody would have no problem hating. They could find anything with him and say, I, I can't stand Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, <clears throat> the one man desiring to see Jesus, he decides to climb up a tree to watch for him. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever experienced what Zacchaeus experienced, where people disliked you. When I was, I mentioned a few minutes ago that I, I had an opportunity to go over to Turkey and over in Istanbul for a few days. It's the only place that I've been where people knew you were American and a few merchant owners and restaurant owners wanted nothing to do with you because you were American. We ran into a couple merchant owners as we went to go purchase something. They would say, no service to Americano, no service. They would not serve or sell to us because we were American. I'd never been in a position where you, where you felt that pressure back at you. And you thought, well, I have money, though. I mean, you, you could gain money from me. I, I just want to buy something. No. No service. <clears throat> and I felt at that place where there was nothing I could do to earn their favor. And I think of Zacchaeus. He was in this place where there was something inside of him that was stirring him. He was interested in this Jesus, whether it was for his own personal gain or, or, or something else, we don't know. But something inside of him caused him 
to enter the crowd where he knew he was hated and to climb a tree just to see Jesus pass by. What I love about Jesus is this. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus chooses the unlikely, the unwanted, and the broken. Jesus chooses the unlikely, the unwanted, and the broken. We see throughout the New Testament as Jesus traveled around, he chose fishermen to be his disciples. He chose tax collectors and misfits to follow him and to change the course of history. He chose those who were unlikely, who were unwanted, and broken. Because he knew in the midst of that transformation that could happen, people would see something. They would recognize that Jesus took someone who was broken, dented, and scratched and lost, and through him transformed them into something amazing. To share the grace and the love of him. He took those who were unlikely, unwanted, and broken. Those who had perceived no value. Peter, a fisherman, was not on the top recruiting list to become the next disciple at any synagogue or rabbi. Okay? Peter was someone who was barely a decent fisherman, and, and he was chosen by Jesus to follow him and to change history, to use him as, a, as an instrument to preach the gospel and to see lives changed. As a kid, I... Growing up, I grew up in Missoula, Montana as a kid, and one of my most favorite memories as a kid was my, every Saturday my parents would get up early and we'd go out garage sailing or, or yard sales, I think they call it. Anyone, anyone enjoy doing the garage sale, yard sale thing? Okay. Yeah, I think it's amazing to do this. It's so fun. As a kid, I would get up and I would circle everything we wanted to go do. We would load up the car and we would head out to these garage sales. Now, a garage sale is, is fairly interesting anyway, because for most of us, it's stuff that we don't want, but we're not ready to throw away, so we think, well, I can make a few extra bucks, so let's try to sell it first, and if it doesn't sell, we'll toss it in the garbage, right? So, the whole concept is people just trying to get rid of their junk, and other people come and pay to take their junk from them, and eventually, it turns out to be something that they sell to other people for junk, right? It's this weird cycle of thinking. But as a kid, the one thing I loved when we'd get there and we would show up, I would look for the coveted, yet parents hated this, the coveted free box. Anyone familiar with the free box? It's the box of stuff that you feel too guilty to throw away, but you know that some sucker will take it for free. And it usually, as a kid, myself, first thing I would do is search for that box that said free. And I would run to that box and I would snatch at that box and I would take it. My parents would always think, oh, we have a box full of junk now. But in my mind, it was a treasure chest. There was something in there of value that I could find and want and build and make. And so I was so excited about the free box of stuff. You see, as a kid, I found value in the things that were discarded. I found value in the things that others saw no value in. And there was something in me that, that brought me to a place that I could find value in anything. 
something in me that stirred my heart to say, if it's your junk, I'll take it and I'll, I'll make it better. I'll find something in this that'll be worth something. You see, that same concept, I believe, is in Jesus' heart. And that same thing that he has in his heart, he wants in our hearts. To see things that others would discard, to see things that others would push aside, to see things that no one else sees value in, that we would see and say, you know what? There is tremendous value in that person. You know what? I see this person and they're struggling in life, and I, and I understand, but man, there's so much value, there's so much treasure in them. They just need a second chance. They need an opportunity. They need someone who will believe in them, someone who will share with them the gospel. See, as I get older, I see the things like the free box as just, oh, it's going to be so much work. Do we really need that? I see things that are discarded and I go, oh, I don't have time for that. I don't have the energy for that. I don't have the vision for that. But even this week, as I read this passage, I felt this overwhelming stirring in my heart that Jesus was all about the discarded. And I reminded myself and remembered that I was once that free box. I myself was once that broken mug. Had no value. I had messed up my life. My life was going a direction that was not good. But Jesus transformed that. And I began to get excited about who are those in my life that are like the Zacchaeus? Who are those around me that people have discarded, people have devalued, that people have pushed aside? Who are those that I see that there's treasure in, there's value in, there's opportunity in, that I can begin to reach out to help them? 1 Corinthians 1.26 says this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Jesus was in the restoration business. I had a friend who rebuilt an old, old truck. And he first got this truck, it looked like a pile of rust. It didn't drive, it didn't, it didn't even hardly look like a truck. And he was so excited to show me this hunk of garbage. Now, you don't know me, but I am not a handyman. I'm not a fixer. I'm not anything remotely to that. So I saw this thing as just a complete waste of time and money. But he, he saw the end product. He saw this beautiful blue painted truck completely restored. And that is what made him excited. That's what stirred him. That's what drove him to spend the countless hours grinding off rust. The countless hours of scraping and searching for parts. Because he knew one day it would all be worth it. And I remember that, and I think, man, how many times in our life has God been working in us, grinding the rust off? How many of those in our life that we know of, people in our neighborhoods and next door and family and friends that 
are like that old rusty pickup. I wouldn't tell them this, right? We don't want to tell them those things. But we think about it and we think, man, sometimes I look at it and go, man, they, their life is such a mess. Oh, we'll get to it next week. Even my, my wife and I talk about this. We have a few people that we know that are they're not a part of church or anything like that. And we felt stirred in, in our hearts to, to invite them over for dinner. And the first thing we said is, oh, I don't know. They have so many kids. <laughs> oh, their, their kids are going to yeah, wreck our brand new couch. Oh, that's, I would just rather watch TV tonight. But it takes something in us to engage that and go, you know what? It's in the work that transformation happens. It's in the process that transformation happens. And my friend would tell you this. He would never trade a single moment of that restoration project because he put every bolt in, he scraped every piece of metal, he put his blood, sweat, and tears into it, and it means so much more to him than if he were to pay somebody else to restore it. Now, if you're here and you have done that, it's nothing against you at all. I'm just saying, he would say, man, every bolt, every piece of tool was worth it. Because I can look at it and see a complete transformation. Because in the process, the transformation happens. So I want to challenge us today. As we see the story of Zacchaeus. He was overlooked, he was unseen, but Jesus walked by and he saw Zacchaeus. And everyone else in the crowd is going, are you kidding me? You're going to spend time with Zacchaeus? There was something that Jesus saw in Zacchaeus. He said, you know what? Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. Let's go share a meal. We don't know what happened at that meal. We don't know how long it took. But we know that when Zacchaeus went to his house, he was perceived as a thief swindler, a robber, he was hated. And we see at the end of that meal when he comes out, his life is completely changed. He says, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give them back four times what I've taken. Everything I have is now for the kingdom. Everything I, I want to do is for Jesus now. Something changed in that moment. Because Jesus saw someone who was unseen unnoticed, devalued, and he said, you, let's hang out. Let's spend time together. But I love as we close out this passage, I love in this process of, of Zacchaeus and the crowd and, and Jesus, you kind of get these three crowds kind of colliding together. This crowd that I think are, is upset because they know who Zacchaeus is, a crowd who's upset because they don't think that Zacchaeus deserves spending time with Jesus. They've been following him. They've been crowding him. And, and, and Zacchaeus climbs a tree and he gets to spend time with Jesus. We have Zacchaeus who is completely mesmerized on who Jesus was. We don't know his motives behind it, but we, all we know is that he was stirred to a place to climb a tree. He was so desperate to see Jesus that he was willing to do something that was undignified for a chief tax collector to run ahead and climb a tree. And we see that Jesus, passing through, stops. He sees Zacchaeus. He says, let's hang out. He saw value in Zacchaeus. 
I love in Ephesians chapter 2, you probably have heard this before. But for, it says that, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Jesus takes broken, cracked, dented things, and he makes them beautiful. And it's only through Jesus that that can happen. I can apply as much glue and tape as I want to that mug, and it never will go back to its original form. I can glue it every day, I can tape it, I can do all these things, but that handle will never function the way it was originally created. See, it's only through Jesus that he takes things that are broken, chipped, and dented in our life, and he makes them beautiful. And he calls us to go out and to find other broken, dented things, people, families, neighbors, co-workers, and to share with them what happened to you. What I want to close with is this idea of this masterpiece. My kids are in elementary school, and many of you probably have kids in school or grown up in, uh, have, have been through school, or maybe your grandparents and your grandkids have drawn pictures. But they draw these pictures at school, or they paint these pictures, and they're so excited to come home, and they bring it home, and they say, Dad, I made you a picture. What do you think? And we're all adults in here. First thing I think is, hmm, what is it? <laughs> it's you, Dad. I'm like, oh, hmm. it's a bit rounder than I thought I was. Shorter. What's with this? So they're so excited to show you in their minds this masterpiece. They're so excited to bring this to you, and, and you're looking at this. And as a parent, you don't want to show any feelings of, of uh, you don't like it or you don't appreciate it. So you're like, oh, you're amazing. You do so good. Oh, that is so amazing. That's, uh, yeah, I, exactly. That is me. That's the first thing I thought. I know you're thinking, he lies to his kids? Who is this guy? <laughs> What's amazing about a masterpiece, and you know there are actual terms for masterpiece and museums and art galleries that are certified pieces of artwork that are recognized from all fields as an amazing piece of artwork. What's amazing about it is it's not in what others see or even the process of creating it, but a masterpiece is a masterpiece through the eyes of the creator. You see, no matter what my kid draws, how long it took him, how hard it was, or, or even how much you look at it and go, I don't, I don't see that. I don't see how he has a picture of that. That's, that's not perfect. It needs to be more round, or you need, to, you need to change that color. That's not correct. No matter what anyone else says, in my daughter's eyes, and for me, it's a masterpiece. Because not so much in what was created, but it was in who created it. See, Jesus, we see in the Bible in Ephesians, and God says that we are his masterpiece. He's simply saying he doesn't care what anyone else says about you. He doesn't look for other people to confirm whether or not that qualifies as a masterpiece. He doesn't look for other people to go, well, it needs to meet, meet this kind of criteria before it's a masterpiece. God says, no, because I made you, because I created you, because I transformed you, you are my masterpiece. And no one else can change that criteria. You are my masterpiece. Nothing else matters. So as we sit here 
with our dents and cracks. Maybe as you sit here, you think of those in your family or your neighborhood that maybe are struggling, maybe are broken, lost. You can begin to reflect and go, God, I want to I see them. I want to see them find themselves as a masterpiece of yours. I want them to hear the gospel. I want them to experience what you've done in my life. God, help me to see those who are unseen, those who are unlikely, those who are broken, those who are overlooked. How can I be an advocate and an ambassador to reach one? How can I help this person, this one individual, begin to understand how much they're loved by God? How can I help them see Jesus? How can I help them recognize who they are? How do I help them see that they're not defined by their dents and cracks, but through Jesus transformed? I want to read this last scripture, and then the worship team can come up this morning. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example of those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Worship team, you guys can come up here. I'm going to give you a last challenge as they're coming up here this morning to lead us in the last song. I want to challenge you. If you're like me, sometimes it's easy to forget to look up. Sometimes it's, it's easier to, to pass and to avoid those around us. Finding myself, sometimes it's easier just to keep to myself because it's less messy and it's comfortable and it's what I know. But I guarantee every person in this room there are Zacchaeuses in trees around us. It might be a neighbor, it might be a coworker, it might be a family member, it might be a complete stranger. And I know exactly what you're thinking. You're thinking, I, I don't know if I have it in me to invite them down and to connect with them. But first and foremost, I believe this, is it begins with the heart. It begins with the heart to see those who are lost. And as we see those who are lost and broken and overlooked, we can begin to pray. We can begin to pray for them and to pray for opportunities. And as we pray, I believe this, as we pray, our heart becomes knit with the very heart of God. And God's heart is to seek and to save the lost. And what he does is he begins to, to overwhelmingly show us how much he loves them. We begin to pray and then we have an opportunity to call out, come down. Jesus called to Zacchaeus, 
He said, come down, Zacchaeus. I'm not here to yell at you. I'm not here to discipline you. Come down. Let's hang out. Let's have a meal together. I, I want to hear your story, Zacchaeus. Come down. We all have an opportunity to reach out, to invite those in the streets. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We pray as we close our time here this morning. God, I pray that you would touch our hearts. God, I, 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 even in my own life, God, I thank you for just even convicting me God, to see those who are lost and seeking. God, it's so easy for myself just to ignore it and to, to push aside because I have other things to do or, or it's too hard or too difficult and so I just would rather do something different. God, you convicted me. That's my my responsibility to be your ambassador, to be your hands and feet, God, to share and to love with those, to see those, God, who are broken, hurting, overlooked, and unlikely. So God, I pray for every one of us, myself included, this week. God, you begin to soften our hearts. Give us eyes and ears, God, to see and to hear those around us. That we might win one person, God. Focus on one person, one neighbor, one family member, one friend, one stranger, God, that we would say, you know what? I'm going to pray every day for this person. And I'm going to ask God to open a door that I can step into. I believe neighborhoods, cities, God, they're, they're completely transformed and influenced when we find the one. Great things happen in small, simple tasks. And so, God, help us to seek and to save those around us. We love you. We give you all the honor, all the praise.